Hello and welcome to Mind the Resilience. I am Ramki your host and in this episode we'll be discussing the topic of business continuity with our guest Mark Amar. Mark has a wealth of experience in business continuity planning and management and is an advocate for the adaptive business continuity manifesto. In our conversation we cover a range of topics including the key principles and potential impact of the adaptive business continuity manifesto the importance of collaboration and cross functional partnerships in business continuity lessons learned from managing natural disasters and disruptive events and the future of business continuity Mark also shares his insights on how business continuity planning can help organizations build resilience particularly for small and medium sized businesses and we wrap up by discussing best practices for testing and exercising business continuity plans so whether you are a seasoned professional in the world or just starting to explore the topics of business continuity this conversation is sure to be insightful and thought provoking without further ado let's dive in welcome to mind the resilience podcast we have mark hammer today mark how are you i'm very good i'm very good thanks for having me on ramki Great to have you here, Mark. Can you introduce yourself and give a little bit of background about you and how you got interested in the business continuity, and also if you can share some some of your interests and hobbies outside of your professional work? Certainly, I'll give it a try. Um, so, unlike most people who kind of either fell into the profession or they wound up getting assigned business continuity responsibilities. Um, I actually applied for a job as a business continuity analyst uh, at, uh, wow. at the company I was with about, uh, this is about 20 years ago. So it was actually okay. 2002. Um, I knew somebody who was in the group. Uh, I was actually a trainer at the time. I was mm-hmm. a technical trainer uh, looking for something new and interesting to do. And sure enough, I found it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, and I've been here ever since. Um, something, something interesting about me outside of business continuity. Um, Uh, some people know this. I play guitar. I've played guitar since I was a teenager. Um, wow. I used to live in Los Angeles. I played in bands and stuff like that. I really haven't played live in quite some time, but uh, mm. but I've amassed a collection of guitars. I still play. Still play in my bedroom and the occasional <laughs> open mic if I if I can find one. Excellent, excellent. I always ask the same question to everyone about their hobbies, and I hear a lot of different uh, hobbies, a lot of different perspectives. Uh, so the first time I'm yeah. hearing. someone who plays a guitar so welcome <laughs> to the show uh, mark thank you very much thank you very much i appreciate it okay um we are going to discuss a lot of things with respect to business continuity today my first discussions with you mark is something unique that um you have put across in your linkedin profile or your work work as well so what is adaptive business continuity manifesto can you explain to my audience what is this all about and what are its main goals are and this manifesto that is the adaptive business continuity that you have coined the name how yes. different it is to the traditional approaches to the business continuity planning and what are all the benefits of adapting this adaptive approach to the business continuity if you can please explain to my audience uh, please mark Sure, sure. I'll I'll do my best. I'm going to see if I can do this in just a couple of minutes. Sure. Um so so as I mentioned I've been in business continuity for over 20 years now. Mm-hmm. Um for the first 10 years in business continuity, I was a very much by the book traditional yes. business continuity planner, you had executive engagement, you do a business impact assessment, a risk assessment, develop 
strategies and plans and then you test and exercise. And um, what I discovered is I was a full-time employee for an organization. Anytime some kind of event came along, mm-hmm. um, some kind of disruption, and I was called upon to help facilitate the response and recover, recovery, I discovered, as most people do, People don't reference their plans. They don't use their plans. Even the strategies and procedures that we developed aren't applicable. All of the priorities and times that we define as part of the business impact assessment, they all go out the window. My experience is that anytime there's some kind of disaster or disruption, things become very complex very fast. Um, Mm -hmm. Customer requirements can change. Um, Competitors are also impacted. Um, and we see this time and time again, anytime there's a, a major catastrophe is, is things you're consuming, pro- people are consuming products in different ways, mm-hmm. um, priorities and requirements and expectations change. The things that you thought weren't all that important when the sun was shining, the birds were chirping, all of the lights were green and things were humming along, mm-hmm. aren't the priorities and mm-hmm. the requirements and the expectations people have when things are really bad, when, when, mm. this, when, when you've got flooding, when you've got, when you've got damage and disruption around. Mm. So, so as a result, um, mm-hmm. I first started really kind of critiquing what we do within the business continuity profession and this traditional life cycle yes. that we constantly promote. Um, and that evolved. I came across a few like-minded people within mm-hmm. business continuity who were doing things differently, who were mm. approaching things um, a different way. And, uh, and I have a colleague by the name of David Lindstead. Mm-hmm. Um, he previously worked at Ohio State University. And he and I really kind of got together and with the input of other colleagues developed this adaptive business mm-hmm. continuity manifesto. And what sets it apart, I think, mm-hmm. from traditional business continuity practices is it's based on principles, right? Okay. It's, ba- it's based on things like you should learn the business. You should get incremental direction from leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, you shouldn't rely on plans except as reference in building capability within your organization. Um, so it's not, there's no, like I said, there's no life cycle. There's no mm-hmm. defined methodology. There's no specific actions that people should take. Okay. What we really encourage people to do is build and develop the skill sets that they need to be good facilitators, good communicators, good collaborators within their organization, and through that help their organizations not write plans, but build capabilities by understanding what their current capabilities are, and then what are the opportunities and steps they can do to improve upon those okay. capabilities and uh, it, it can be it can be easy to i think either misinterpret or misrepresent adaptive business continuity um in some cases you could say since it's based on principles mm-hmm. you could still apply the adaptive business continuity principles in the execution of a traditional business continuity methodology okay. but i strongly encourage people to kind of get out of that typical mm. life cycle and okay. really think differently about what what would you do or what could you do differently that delivers more immediate value to the organization, provides a greater degree of flexibility and improves that capability without being so rigid in terms of here's how we define a plan and here's we go here's mm. how we 
go about testing things of that nature. Understood. So usually any organizations, you know, small, uh, medium and the large size, they go for ISO 22301 as their base for yeah. doing their business continuity implementation or, you know, uh, auditing as well, uh, you know, for their own organizations. So what you're saying here is that you pick the best out of everywhere and then you have create a strategy that uh, is applicable for today's organizations. These standards may be a bit more irrelevant, not irrelevant, maybe it's a wrong word. Maybe it's not applicable to the all the organizations, but what you have done is you have refined those concepts wherever, wherever you have seen with your own experiences, experiences as well as with your own, uh, you know, your colleagues' experience as well and then come up with a kind of an standard which the organizations can use to implement their business continuity program. Is that right uh, statement, Mark? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's two things, right? As, as you said, of the standards and the frameworks that are out there, what best works for you mm-hmm. in your organization, but also even outside of the standards and the frameworks that are out there. Are, are there things that we haven't thought of? Are, are mm-hmm. there creative solutions to some of our problems? And mm-hmm. and I'm not I'm not necessarily I'm not specifically against ISO two two three zero one or or other standards and frameworks, whether it's uh, Disaster Recovery Institute yeah. or the Business Continuity Institute. What what I'm against is I think I think too many people take these frameworks and they with without really thinking about how am I actually building capability within my organization? They instead focus on, well, what are the deliverables or, or, or requirements and actions dictated by this framework and this yeah. method? And as long as I execute those steps, mm-hmm. at the end of that life cycle, I will have delivered business continuity. And I, I think True. most people would agree that simply by executing the steps, that may not deliver capability. Okay. You really have to build the skills and you have to work yeah. collaboratively within your organization. Um, and, and also they have to take some degree of accountability. How, mm. how do you get organizations to take that accountability? How do you get people yeah. to kind of take responsibility for preparing their own, their own teams, their own departments within the organization? And then how can we do that collaboratively? So if something significant happens, mm. those teams can come together in the response and the recovery of, of what they do. Very nice. Um, is this a book or is this something like you are doing consulting for the organizations? What? How do you implement this adaptive business continuity if an organization is looking forward to it? Good question. Um, so there is there is there's the manifesto. Um, mm-hmm. You can get to that from adaptivebcp.org. Okay. Um, there's ten principles defined in there. There is also a book. Um, that I co-authored with Dr. David Lindstead, okay. um, where we kind of talk more in detail around, well, how Understood. could we apply this and how might okay. it be executed? Um, I know David now works for um, BCO, which is a consulting service. Um, what I would, what I, and, and I myself, I'm a full-time employee. I work for, I work for Brinks. Um, yeah. Where I try to help other people is, is through avenues like this, trying to speak openly about it. Um, If people want to reach out to me, I'm happy to discuss and maybe share my perspectives with them directly. I I tend to think of adaptive as like open source, Mm. right? Where where, where ISO 22301, you know, you have have to pay for that framework. And then if you want to come in and certify against it, there's there's some some, uh, time and effort and expense you have to go through. Whereas I think adaptive, again, it's, it's flexible. 
it's open source. It's available to people. It's a Creative Commons license, so okay. anybody can use it and use it however they feel they want to. Uh, but what we ask is, you know, if you're publishing anything on it or you're promoting anything, just give us the credit for it. Okay, really what perfect. It, what it comes, Thank you. I'm going to put that in. information in my show notes uh, later on uh, in the in in my show notes, uh, Mark. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. Uh, let's dive into the other, other topics that we have. Um, sure. I want to discuss with you on the collaboration and cross-functional partnerships in BCP. How important is it f- uh, for an organizations to collaborate between different departments and functions in developing the effective uh, business continuity plans, Mark? Like, are there any strategies for fostering collaboration and communication between teams and from your perspective, uh, can you give some examples or something like that, you know, where a successful collaboration or partnership that contributed to an organization's, uh, organization's resilience from your perspective? Sure, sure. I'll, I'll, do, my, I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> so, so collaboration is key. Um, and I, I feel like collaboration really starts with relationships. Mm, true. Um, I, I think my experience is and this isn't just specific to business continuity i see it with people in the human resources departments and people who work in legal and elsewhere we tend to make business relationships transactional Hmm. so we only develop the relationship as a consequence of of wanting to get other work done Hmm. i need your support to do this or i require you your approval to be able to do this and that's kind of the beginning and end of the relationship um I suggest that people go in and develop relationships within the organization mm. with those people who are department heads or team leads, subject matter experts, the executives in their organization to the extent mm. that they can. Um, and, and for me, it's about trying to take that transaction out of it in the, in the building and fostering of that relationship. So learn about those people, um, try to develop a good personal relationship and a good mm. rapport with them. That makes it a lot easier when the time comes and you do need to go ask for approval for something um, or if you need to ask their support for something. It also makes the collaboration yeah. a lot easier, right? So when mm. when you're working with them in the development of some kind of capability within their organization, if you already have a good relationship, you already think positively with, with one another, it becomes much easier for folks yeah. to, to work one-on-one. And, and to me, the, the magic happens not just when you're developing those relationships with yourself, but when you're kind of building what I would call a network and yes. you're introducing people to one another. And mm. I always, I always try to take the approach of, I don't, I don't hold myself as the expert in all things or the one yeah. with the answer to all of the questions. What I try to do is, is I, I set myself up as the person who knows who has that answer. So mm. people can contact me anytime and say, you know what, I'm struggling with this. And I'll say, you know what, that's this person over here in, in finance or someone in procurement or maybe exactly. in security. And, and, to, and what I try to do is, is try to foster or uh, facilitate that introduction. I'll do an email introduction. Yes. And, and I always try to set both parties up in a positive light. Mm. Hey, this, this person in finance, they're really knowledgeable. They've got a wealth of experience. I found them to be really helpful. So yeah. it, here's here's Joe. And Joe, by the way, um, here's Melanie. She's she leaders of exactly. those conversations and not try to be the answers and the, and the directors yeah. of all that. Sure. Let the conversation happen organically. We just facilitate it. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I want to discuss with you on 
the lessons learned on managing some natural disasters and disruptive events with you can you share some specific examples of natural disasters or disruptive events that you have managed in the past and what was the uh, takeaway from those challenges and how did you approach and overcome them mark from your perspective and what lessons that organizations can learn from these type of events right i mean recently we had this huge covid uh, pandemic and uh, you know we are seeing now with uh, russia ukraine war as well so these global events disruptive events natural disasters or man made disasters whatever you can say right how can organizations be better prepared and and how they can approach and you know come out of these uh, different issues that we have facing on a day, day in and day out uh, you know the organizations face sure um sure so this is uh, i've i've i often promote the fact that I've, I have, I personally have facilitated a response to probably mm. well over a hundred separate events. Wow. And it's, it's that many because it's not just the big natural disasters like hurricanes okay. and earthquakes and, and pandemics, but you know, it's power outages, mm. it's IT outages. Yep. Um, it's, it's protests. So, sometimes it's just operational issues. Yep. Um, you know, there's, there's been some kind of event maybe in the community and it's disrupted people from being able to get into work or to be able to operate effectively. Um, and, and it, my experience is first, it goes back to relationships when people have, have been given the opportunity to work collaboratively. They know who one another are within the organization. They knew who has the resources and the skills. It makes it way easier in the midst of a crisis for those folks to be able to work together rather than everybody trying to introduce themselves in the middle of that crisis mm -hmm. and where there hasn't been a, a sense of trust established <clears throat> and there hasn't been kind of an empowerment within within the yeah. organization for people to take action and make decisions as they as they go forward what one of my one of the things that i've done in recent years to kind of help build capability is <clears throat> two things um, one exercise to the extent yes. possible. Um, I'm fortunate. I work for a very large global organization mm -hmm. with a very big footprint. And I found that the result of that is th there's hardly an event that can happen anywhere in the world that we aren't True. somehow affected or impacted by. <clears throat> so what I've tried to do is, is what I say, lower the threshold mm -hmm. of response and recovery. So, so for me, business continuity isn't just something that you rely on in a worst case scenario where mm -hmm. things really are catastrophic. <clears throat> no, let's, let's execute our response framework or response processes yeah. for relatively small or minor events. It's power outages. It's IT outages. Sure. It's those relatively minor operational events that in some cases, sometimes we, we see over time, they actually escalate and they become crises. Ooh. What they were was that canary in the coal mine or that red light blinking. That was a signal that something worse was coming. So the sooner we start executing, the better we put mm. position ourselves if things get worse. And my experience is, and the truth is, I would say in the majority of times, mm. within an hour, maybe a couple of hours, things go mm. back to normal. <laughs> but at least we've, at least we've pulled people into call. Yeah. We've we've executed some degree of communications. We've maybe started preparing our strategies. And again, that puts us in a better position the next time if something is catastrophic. Again, mm. we're we're relatively well practiced at yeah. working together, 
familiarizing ourselves with what those processes are and the resources and strategies available to us. So that's what I've, that's what I've tried to. It's really, to me, it's really about providing opportunities for people to get together mm. and practice and execute. I like your approach because what you have said here is that, and this is one of uh, the informations I have seen as well, 99% of the crisis is actually, um, you know, it's it's something like which has started very small and then it has progressed. It's yeah. not catastrophic, right? 99.99% you can say that as well, right? Uh, uh, it's a server breakdown or an AC failure, data center going yeah. down or, you know, um, something which is broken, right? So if, if you are able to have those scenarios tested very regularly by conducting uh, regular testing and then ensuring that our employees are prepared or trained for those scenarios what you are saying here is that it it can actually be helpful during the bigger crisis that may occur in the future so we regularly practice these scenarios which is happening 99.99% and obviously when the disaster strikes or whenever it's going to happen in the future some cue we can get it from here and then we can apply it i like your idea mark and it's it's a good idea i mean rather than focusing only for the bigger ones which are very rare focus on the ones which are very relevant and you know which can occur very frequently and then concentrate on those uh, resiliency framework how we are going to recover from those issues that can build exactly. naturally you know for the bigger disasters well done exactly exactly you got it you got it yeah okay um i want to ask you the future of business continuity trends and challenges and opportunities so what are some of the emerging trends or technologies that you think have will have a significant impact in the business continuity in the future and what opportunities do you see for organizations that are able to effectively navigating these challenges um, you know by having uh, these uh, topics in place mark from your perspective sure sure so um, I, th- i think some of the emerging um, thought processes and ideas that are very applicable to what we do in resilience are things like complexity sciences Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, there's a few smart people talking about these. Um, there's also, um, uh, in relation to complexity sciences, there's there's things like sense making. I don't know if you're familiar with the Kinevin framework no. developed by Dave Snowden. Okay. Um, it's spelled C Y N E F I N, and it's it's what we call a sense making framework. It's it's really how do you understand where you are in terms okay. of of how predictable the nature of the situation and the the environment we're in and through that what's the best way to navigate through it mm. and, and return ourselves to to a more stable and a more predictable and a more familiar environment um and there's all and so that's dave snowden who developed that okay um, there's also there's also are you familiar with something called the uda loop No, unfortunately, okay. no. Okay. Uh, it's so UDA stands for um, observe, orient, decide, act. Okay. And, uh, and this was developed many decades ago by someone by the name of John Boyd. Um, okay. And and even even what Dave Snowden does um, references okay. and is is tied together with UDA. But it's it's a very similar it's a very similar idea mm. that that as what. Going back to what I talked about with adaptive, um, I think we traditionally think of preparedness as the end result is a plan mm. and a set of procedures that we can follow. Yeah. And what what this Kinevin framework and what UDA tells us and informs us of is that is that 
plans are really, really good for familiar environments and predictable environments. But we know that disasters and disruptions and crises are not predictable. True. They are not familiar environments. And in those environments, plans are the worst thing we can okay. rely on. What we need to do is, is help build and develop capability and skills to be able to work and operate in those kinds of environments. That's why I go back to saying, if we can find opportunities to practice, if we can yeah. put people into unfamiliar, maybe challenging situations, um, then they, they become more familiar with operating in those types of environments. And, and as a result, we get better decisions, people mm. are able to act more calmly and, and operate more effectively in those types of situations. Um, nice. So those, those are those are some areas I, I, that I, I see that could heavily and positively okay. affect us within resilience. Um, okay. I think there's there's still there's still a segment of the organization that's very what I call compliance focused. Okay. Yes. So we, we develop we develop frameworks and life cycles, and the expectation is let's conform to the life cycle, yes. and through that we'll be better prepared. And I I have not found any evidence that that is the case. And, and uh, again, not, not that there isn't value to be derived from those, yeah. but if we, if, if we think that stringently following the life cycle and only executing on those actions defined by the life cycle is mm. going to put us in a better position. And mm. that's the only way to get to that destination. Mm. I think, I think we may find up, find, find ourselves very surprised. Uh, yeah. at the end of the I day. think, I think that's why you, Uh, loop back to your adaptive business continuity isn't it like it's very important for the organizations to adapt to whatever they are looking forward for their own business continuity and not just blindly follow any of the standards and practices that is out there right so exactly yeah, i can exactly. i can yeah. uh, you know think about the links yep yep and 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 it, you know when you think about the term adapt adaptation or hmm. adaptability it's not something you can plan or prepare for right adaptation is a result of a change in the environment and then you now have to change yourself as a result in order to accommodate this new environment and this new situation that you're in and and again you, you don't know what kind of change is coming and you don't know what the consequences yeah. of that change are going to be i always say as as humans um we're very good at predicting events yes pandemics hurricanes earthquakes what we're really, really bad at is predicting the consequences yes. of those events. Sure, we, we knew that a pandemic was coming. What we really couldn't, what we really were bad at is, is anticipating what the consequences exactly. of that pandemic would be, what the health authority decisions would be, mm. and what the downstream ramifications would be in terms of things like the entertainment and the travel and the hospitality industries, not to mention the individual impacts yeah. and responses to those decisions that are that are made P particularly particularly in our in our very hyper political very fractal environments that we're in now and if we can get yeah. back to maybe work finding what our commonalities are mm. and and where we can collaborate rather than focusing on our differences i think we'd be, be in better positions well done great points Thank um you. my next discussions with you is on the building organizational resilience through business continuity right so how can business continuity planning help organizations build their resilience right and what are all some of the key components of resilient organizations from your perspective and are there any strategies 
for integrating business continuity planning into the organized organizational's overall resiliency strategy and how can as an organizations build their own resilience through business continuity planning uh, from your perspective mark sure um i th- i think one of the areas where there's i think there's too much focus within business continuity is this very top down approach yeah. where we get executive buy in and support and then we kind of push those requirements down to to kind of the front lines folks and what i tend to promote is almost the opposite okay if you can build capability on the front lines and then through that now the managers and the supervisors and the team leads over those teams they now they're they're a they're collaborating with one another but they also are now managing teams that are themselves better prepared and they've got a greater degree of capability really what you have in in essence done is, is built a more resilient organization as as a result you you can have leaders that maybe have make the right decisions um, they've got the right priorities and principles but if that isn't making its way down to the front lines and if it's not demonstrated by leadership on a day in day out basis then we can't expect it to then materialize in the middle of a crisis or yes. disaster what what you're going to get in the middle of a crisis really is a magnification of the culture that you fostered on a day-to-day basis and if that True. if that if that culture is not collaborative if it, if it doesn't promote and foster diverse inputs and diverse perspectives if it's not creative and if it doesn't support innovation then you cannot expect in the middle of a crisis for for people to be innovative you can't expect for people if if they haven't been promoted to foster and accept diversity for them to now work with with diverse members of their teams yeah. in a collaborative fashion so uh, so how how we can operate in the business continuity space in building that resilience mm-hmm. is first at that tactical level where yes. you can build that those capabilities at cool. the ground level you are now actually promoting a greater degree of resilience across the organization and then again at the at the leadership level i don't think it's necessarily about building yeah. the tactics and strategies as much as it is about trying to influence the culture yes. because to me resilience is as much about diversity it's as much about collaboration and mm. innovation and creativity as it is about preparedness and having strategies and capabilities in place Well done. I hope that I hope that helps. I feel like I'm Absolutely. I feel like I may be going too too deep on some of these. No, 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 no. It it made really sense and I completely agree with you Mark on that. Thank you. Thank you. Um my next discussion with you is on the business continuity for small and medium sized business, right? We have discussed and you have given a lot of challenges that uh, the businesses face, right? So, but what are some of the unique challenges that the SMB companies face today uh, with respect to business continuity planning? What are some of the strategies for developing an effective continuity plans with limited resources? We know that big organizations has good amount of funding, good amount of resources. You know, they can actually leverage their own, uh, you know, resources to come up with good strategies for them. But the SMB is always left out, right? Can you give us an example of how a small and the medium-sized business can successfully navigate a disruptive event, you know, uh, sure. have a continuity plan in place that they can rely upon in the future? 
So, so I, th- I think, as you say, right, large organizations have resources. They can, they can execute a very regimented exactly. approach to business continuity. Um, small and medium-sized businesses don't have those resources or those luxuries. But I, I, w- I would say small and medium-sized businesses have an advantage in that they are mm-hmm. smaller. They're yeah. more nimble. They have cool. a greater degree of flexibility. And that's something they could they could capitalize on and something okay. that they should focus on is, hey, we're, we're a small organization. Um, we've maybe got a relatively geographically dispersed group of people that work for our organization. Mm. How can we enable these people to work autonomously in the event we lose communications mm-hmm. or in the event of a pandemic or some kind of event that, that disrupts not just us, but our customers and the communities that, that we support. What, what kind of decision-making, what kind of collaboration can we foster today in the organization so that it puts us in a better position to operate that same way autonomously and with a greater degree of empowerment and trust and decision-making across the organization to be better, to be better positioned to support our customers and our communities when those times come. So to me, it's not, it's not about, it's definitely not when you're a smaller organization following that life cycle, hmm. a small and medium sized business is not going to get any, I don't think they're going to get any value out of doing a business impact assessment, <laughs> out of a risk assessment, and then developing a bunch of plans. What they're hmm. going to get value out of is as, as a team saying, hmm. Hey, here's understanding what they look like. What okay. does their capability look like today? What kind of resources do we have that we can bring to bear? What kind of culture do we have in our organization? Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of diversity do we have in terms of people who are decision makers in the organization? And how empowered are people in, in yeah. the organization? For, for me, in business continuity, we are so often focused on how do we restore communication channels? Yes. How do we get technology back up and running? And for me, that that's important, but we also need to consider, you know what, in some cases, mm-hmm. we may not have communication channels available mm-hmm. to us. We may not have technology. So let's start first and foremost by giving people the power and the authority to operate independently in the absence of those communication channels yes. or that technology. So if they're if they're on an island for 24 or 48 hours without communication to mm-hmm. their leadership, mm-hmm. let's make sure that they have the tools and the authority to make decisions and support mm. their teams and their communities and customers independent of the rest of the organization until we can restore those communication channels. And to me, that's that's the value that I think small and medium-sized businesses can realize is, is again, realizing they're small, they're flexible, they're yeah. nimble. How can they how can they take advantage of that in situations where they lose communications or they lose IT or they're 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 negatively impacted in other ways? Do you think that they will have to hire a resilience consultant to do this analysis? Or is there an opportunity for someone within the organizations can take over some of these roles and then have those continuity plan in place, Mark, from your perspective? Are there any requirements that bringing in a, a fresh perspective, uh, uh, you know, an outside resilience consultants may be adding value or what do you think? I mean, they, they absolutely they don't require to do it, but from your perspective, uh, do you think having those uh, person in place will make some changes? I, I think it just, I think it just depends. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in some organizations having that external perspective and having maybe some external experts is probably a value. 
Mm-hmm. Um, in, in other in other cases, there there may be organizations a they can't afford it, yeah. um, or or they might actually have the resources and the capabilities within the organization um, that are perfectly sufficient to help them help them build this capability. I think it is it is varies from organization to organization. The only thing I would I would say is you know if if you're a leader of such an organization and you're considering considering like getting external consultants, yeah, um, you know always always just you know evaluate. What do they bring to the table? Okay, are are they are they simply going to come in and write a bunch of plans or develop a bunch of materials <laughs> and then hand it over and now you've got it? Um, or are they going to work collaboratively with mm. you to kind of understand your organization and your culture? And through that, okay, what what specific steps can we take to mm. be better as an organization? And again, how can we position leadership and management in that organization to take that responsibility? To be empowered to take to to make decisions and um, and take action when the when the time comes. So that's that's all I would caution is I think external consulting is certainly a value, provided those consultants aren't just coming in saying you need to conform to this framework. Here's the execution steps you need to take, and here's what you're going to get at the end of it. Versus a true what I would say consultant who is kind of a partner within the organization and works with the leadership of that organization to, to understand the culture and, and work with them so they can kind of take action themselves to continue to improve and build capability. Great. Excellent. My next topic with you is on the best practices for testing and exercising BCP plans. How important is for an organization to test and exercise business continuity plans, Mark. We have discussed in the past as well, right? Like testing is one of the key metrics or key uh, things that organizations have to do if they want to improve their resiliency. What are some of the best practices for conducting an effective test and exercise? And can you give an example or situation where testing or exercising a continuity plan revealed some weaknesses and areas of improvements from your perspective? Sure. Um, so before I start, let me let me kind of say I think I think of business continuity and then disaster recovery or technology recovery yes. as really two separate endeavors. I I think when we talk about technology recovery or disaster recovery, um, testing and, and testing against the defined strategy is very important because really in technology or disaster recovery. We're talking about restoration of a resource or restoration sure. of a very specific technology capability or technology service. Um, and we need to be able to restore that. So we need to execute in order to understand, well, well, what are their shortcomings or what are the gaps in being able to restore that service? Business continuity, I look at as considerably different. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're recovering, we're responding to an event first and foremost, and then we may be restoring recovering services, but Again, going back to, to what I mentioned earlier, in a crisis or a disruption, disruptive situation or a disaster, frequently what was a priority is no longer a priority. Hmm. Um, what customers want from us as a vendor may be different in the middle of a disaster than it is on a day-to-day basis. So for that reason, we're not necessarily testing plans or we're not necessarily following procedures. What we want to do and, and so let me, let me highlight the most important aspect of this is mm-hmm. I think often in business continuity, we do approach these things as a test with the, with the goal of identifying where the gaps are Correct. in order to close those gaps. I would suggest there's value in that 
but I actually think there's more value in a business continuity perspective in practicing being able to respond in the presence of gaps. Mm. So yes, let's let's close the gaps, but let's also get familiar because gaps are always going to exist. Yeah. You know, even the gaps that we identify, we may not have the resources or the time to close them or for taking action, the disaster may occur before we even close or remediate <laughs> that gap. So what we need to do is position ourselves to be able to operate in those environments where gaps exist, where things we didn't anticipate do come up, let's get better practice. And this goes back to what I mentioned about the Kinevin framework and UDA. Mm -hmm. Those types of situations don't lend themselves to strictly following a set of procedures. Let's instead practice and build the capability to operate in very unfamiliar territory and environments where all of the answers may not be readily available. So, mm -hmm. so to that point, when I, when I, one of the things I recommend in, in practicing and exercising business continuity capabilities is first throw out the plan <laughs> <laughs> because we know people aren't going to use the plan. Um, okay. Again, we can, That's we controversial. can use, it is, it is. <laughs> uh, and I think, I think there's value in documenting what we do and what we found as evidence that we're doing this work. But I think there's, I think there's, um, we can do a disservice to our organizations if we set the expectation that those mm. plans are then going to serve us in the middle of a disruption. So mm. let's, let's throw out the plans first. And then the other thing that's, this may sound controversial too, is I, I try not to plan for my exercises. I try to, I, I go in, maybe I'll put some scenarios uh, on a whiteboard. Maybe I'll write them down and people pull them out of a hat. Maybe we just Google the term disaster. Hmm. And whatever comes up at the top of that that search list, that's our scenario for the day. <laughs> you, you meant, so I'm going in just as sorry, prepared Mark. as my participants. Sorry, sorry to cut here. You you meant here the tabletop exercises that you're talking yes. about, or the yes. IT disaster yes. recovery exercises as well? No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's okay. that's why that's why I said I want to separate the technology disaster recovery, where you do want to make sure that you ah, can recover okay. that resource. Makes sense. But business continuity, where you may not have that resource. Okay. How are we going to continue to operate and how are we going to continue delivering our services without critical sure. resources? Well, yeah, absolutely. That's that's something interesting. I haven't thought about it and I have not done it in the past as well, like going unprepared and doing an exercise. Maybe that's something like I'll have to think about it. It's, it's. I mean, it, again, it's, it may be controversial. Some people maybe may hesitate, <laughs> but I, I found it's extremely valuable. Okay. Um, a in setting expectations. Okay. So that when people when people go in, they don't have their plans, and they yeah. know that I haven't prepared a scenario with a bunch of answers for <laughs> yes. them. We're just gonna have to figure this out. It actually positions them to be better prepared when an actual event occurs. Right. Where that's more likely going to be the case than not. Um, and again, I think I found that. When I'm just, when, when I don't have all the answers and I haven't developed this scenario, um, people tend to operate and collaborate with mm. me in a, much, much differently, right? They're not coming to me with answers. They're working together. And then again, I'm, I'm in that position where I think I should be as a facilitator and someone who's fostering those, those collaborative efforts. I'm, there may be a conversation with this group over here and I'm simply mm. one saying, there's another team over here. They might be able to solve your problem, or they might have some solutions. Okay. You. Well then. Well, Mark, we have come to the end of our podcast. Uh, darn. So, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I want to continue for the next few hours, but um, <laughs> but 
fascinating conversations with you mark i have given lots and lots and lots of informations for everyone i'm sure my audience are going to love it uh, we have discussed so many points uh, i request my audience to sit and then rewind rewind and then hear whatever the points that mark gave us today which is very valid and uh, which is approachable and it's actually that's what the business continuity is all about right like you go and then you speak and then you build those plans which is practical right i mean we are not here something uh, creating on our own so again thank you so much for uh, sharing your knowledge mark it's been a pleasure having you before i end the show i want to ask you like if someone wants to get in touch with you what is the best medium and how can they get in touch with you sure um so two two approaches one i'm very active on linkedin okay um, if you find mark armor um, I'm usually the top of the search results because I'm probably the most <laughs> active Mark Armour on LinkedIn. It's Mark with a K, A-R-M-O-U-R. Um, and then you could also, I always welcome people to email me. Okay. My email is M like Mark, N like Nancy, J like Julie, and my last name, A-R-M-O-U-R at gmail.com. Okay. And then the last, the last resource I will give you if you're at all interested in what I've covered here today there's lots of articles, there's other podcasts and, uh, and videos, both from myself, my colleague, Dr. David Lindstead, and others within the adaptive community. And you can find all of that at adaptivebcp.org. Okay. What I'm going to do now is, Mark, um, I'm going to put all your contact details, your website, your adaptive community page and everything in my show notes so that if someone wants to read about it, know more about it and you know enhance their knowledge, they can do it. And I'm also going to put your email ID and your LinkedIn profile as well so that they can directly get in touch with you and understand more about your unique perspective to business continuity planning. Thank you so Excellent. much. Thank you so Thank much you, for uh, uh, joining and um, have a wonderful day, Mark. See you then. Bye-bye.